Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 6. Now, remember, we are reading individual verses of um, of a sermon that goes on for three chapters. And so to, to understand these verses, we want to read them in their context. We don't want to read them out of their context. And so let me just remind you, to read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. Certainly read all of Matthew chapter 6 to understand where we are in Jesus's instruction here. Um, Because just like you and I don't like to have um, one thing that we've said pulled out of context and shared broadly as if it is, you know, the thing we said, um, you know, Jesus doesn't like that either. So, As we read this today, let's remember what we have already heard Jesus say, and let us anticipate what he has yet to say in the Sermon on the Mount. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to drink, food and drink, or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus is certainly not saying, um, you know, that we aren't supposed to be taking care of, uh, you know, the things that are legitimate needs. But we aren't supposed to worry um, about the days that lie ahead. Now, that is... Maybe a little hard to hear in the worrisome days in which we find ourselves. And so I acknowledge and recognize that. Um, and we're human. And Jesus recognizes that as well. So when we talk about um, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues and headlines of the day, we're going to jump into a few headlines. And you're going to immediately say to yourself, well, that's worrisome. And then we're going to remember that Jesus says, you know, it's, it's all in God's hand. God loves you more than more than the birds of the air. Um and it's going to be okay. Like, right? There's an eternal reality. Um, there is a king and a kingdom. He's on the throne. Um, he's got the whole thing in his hands, even when it seems like the whole thing is out of hand. So let's just be mindful of that today. Our confidence is in the Lord and in him alone. So uh, here is a headline for you that, you know, hold on to your seats is going to be troubling. And so I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that in advance. The Social Security Administration. So you know that Social Security card that you have that, you know, proves who you are? The Social Security Administration has announced uh, on Wednesday that Americans who identify as transgender can now change their official Social Security records to reflect the sex that best aligns with their gender identity. So it doesn't matter the truth of their biology. It doesn't matter the reality of their maleness or their femaleness. It, um, no matter what it says on birth records... The Social Security Administration is also exploring a future policy 
that would allow for a person to identify as X um, because they don't see themselves as male or female. They acknowledge a gender, gender fluidity, that they are gender queer, or for some other reason that they don't want to be identified as male or female because they, do, because they reject binary reality. The rejection of binary reality is um, what is really at issue here. So into that confusion, we have to be people who know the truth and speak the truth and do so in love. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that God created human beings in his image as distinctly and intentionally male and female, on purpose and for a purpose. Jesus confirms um, the Genesis 1 narrative um, when he teaches on marriage. You can read those in Matthew 19 or Mark 10. And so even though there's great confusion in the culture, let us be people who see clearly, speak clearly, and do so in love. Um, Yes, acknowledging that the days in which we live are dark and many people are desperately confused. But let us be the people who shine light. We're going to talk next with Bruce Ashford about what is going on in Ukraine, specifically assess um, Russia and Russia's actions um, on the international front and... uh, Yeah, that's what's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bruce Ashford is joining us now. Uh, He's a research fellow at the Kirby Lang Center. You can find what he's working on and writing at bruceashford.net. Good morning, sir. Good morning. It's good to be on the show, Carmen. Yeah, it's good to have you. Okay, so remind us why we're talking with you about Russia. I think you're the only person who I know who's ever, like, been in the physical presence of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, so in the late 90s, um, I lived in Russia right after the fall of uh, of the Soviet Union, and uh, worked and lived out of that region for a little more than two years. Uh, while I was there, I did meet uh, Vladimir Putin, March of 2000. He was campaigning for president uh, the first time. He was a big deal in Russia at the time, but not a very big deal internationally. He, he wasn't quite on the map yet. He's a little guy. He's about 5'5". Five, five. And uh, uh, just met him and had a brief conversation with him. But he has turned out to be quite the big guy on the world stage, hasn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. So just this week, um, not only, you know, they threatening to revive a nuclear threat, um, which has, you know, all of Central Europe afraid and, you know, checking out uh, World War II era bunkers and those kinds of things. But they've decimated a full 40 percent of Ukraine's power stations, um, leaving that country in what are what are now at least rolling blackouts, if not in some places, just completely dark um, that's all happened in the last 11 days as, you know, Russia is also carrying out these forced relocations of Ukrainian citizens from the four regions where Putin has declared martial law. Um, it, I mean, although it seems as if things are going well in terms of the actual battlefield, things are going very badly uh, if you're a citizen of Ukraine and you're really suffering um, in the midst of this war. Yeah, so let's just remind, if you're out there in radio land, uh, in, in the Western world, and, uh, you know, in Western Europe and the United States, um, even though we have not always followed our own rules of warfare, in general, we have uh, had some very clear rules for whether or not to go to war and very clear rules on how to fight the war. 
Putin has systematically broken nearly every one of those rules. So uh, th this war is uh, profoundly unjust. He waged it for a wrong reason. Uh, he listed four different reasons uh, for, for why he was launching the war. None of them uh, were justified reasons for warfare. His actual reason uh, uh, for launching a war was to glorify himself and glorify his nation um, and enlarge its borders, which is an unjust reason. And then they have fought the war in unjust ways. They've targeted uh, non-combatants, which is uh, the, the, the uh, principle of discrimination, that in warfare we're supposed to discriminate between combatants and non-combatants. And so this has been a really dirty war, and he's threatening to make it an even more dirty war uh, by deploying nukes. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, as I read the headlines and as we consider the plight of the people there, you know, I'm certainly um, called to pray. Talk with us about we are what we're learning about the involvement of Iran, both troops on the ground in Crimea and Russian use of these uh, kamikaze drones. Yeah, so um, uh, those of you of a certain age will remember that in, in the uh, 1970s, uh, the Shah was overthrown. The Shah was a, an incredibly unjust ruler in, in uh, Iran, uh, not as bad as the Ayatollah, but he, he was a bad one, and the U.S. backed him wholeheartedly. Uh, so then when he was toppled and we offered him shelter, uh, the Iranian people uh, just began to view Americans as evil people. And uh, they, they kidnapped and took hostage people from our embassy, uh, and so forth. And ever since then, there has been a um, sometimes unspoken alliance between Iran and Russia. And what they have, they're, uh, they're not really friends. They don't really like each other, but they're partners in hating the United States. Um, and so what we're seeing right now is uh, we're seeing uh, two enemies who loathe American power. And we're also seeing the threat of nuclear warfare. Now, there are three kinds of nuclear weapons. There are strategic weapons. These are high yield, maximally devastating we weapons that are incredibly dirty and uh, would hurt people for decades uh, to come. Those are off the table. He's not going to use those. Then you have theater weapons, which are uh, smaller yield and less devastating. He's not planning to use those. But finally, you've got tactical weapons. And this is what Americans need to watch out for. Tactical weapons are low yield and they're less devastating. They don't leave as dirty of a footprint. But they do. They cause enormous damage. They don't discriminate between combatants and non-combatants. And if Putin uses a weapon like that and uh, calls, you know, he, he's going to see if he can call the bluff of the Americans. And that puts us in a wickedly difficult situation, because if we enter uh, the war and uh, uh, fight tit for tat, nuclear versus nuclear, we do have uh, something like a world war in our hands. Hmm. Bruce, um, you and I are going to talk about something uh, a little closer to home here in just a moment. But anything else that we want to highlight here on um, on Russia, Putin or Ukraine? You know, I just I, mean, uh, I, I think one of the things, you, you know, that we could highlight is is uh, that most of us are powerless. You know, we're, we're mm. sitting here in the United States. We, we have very little or no power. We do have a couple types of power. One is the power of prayer. Uh, and it may seem counterintuitive that uh, the more we pray, the worse things get over there. But God does promise that he listens to our prayer and he acts and works in the midst of it. So we should actively pray for the people of Ukraine. And then second is we can do what we ought to do at the voting booth. You know, uh, you know, which legislators? Congress is the one who's supposed to declare war. So legislative voting decisions in this midterm are very important. And, uh, and then in two years, who we vote for president. 
And one of the things we should have in our mind is foreign policy. Uh, who are the legislators and who is the president who can best lead us in a time of potential war? Mm. Those are all really helpful. Hey, we're going to continue our conversation with Bruce Ashford here in just a moment. 1776, I mean, you've heard of the year. Have you also heard of the musical? Did you know that there's a revival of 1776 on Broadway right now? And did you know it's super controversial? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Bruce Ashford, we're talking um, about a Broadway musical. This is um, this unusual territory for us, Bruce. You and I don't um, ordinarily talk about Broadway musicals, but this one has my attention. the uh, The revival of this uh, of this musical, seventeen seventy six. They were hoping to sp- to spark controversy. I mean, they really were. They were hoping to certainly spark a conversation, um, but they have actually um, now they're in a conversation they didn't seek to spark. They have a really diverse cast, intentionally so. Um, this, uh, you know, in 1776, the people who were participating in the writing and the signing of the Declaration of Independence were notably all men, and they were all white. And so this, this 1776 cast is intentionally not white men, like, right? It's women, non-binary, transgender actors playing white men. And so... Um, that 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 was the intent of those who were putting on this production. But tell us, like the the turn this has taken. Yeah, so I mean, this play <clears throat> is an attempt uh, similar to the. Uh, it's doing several things. One is it's temp- uh, attempting to perpetuate uh, the thesis argued by the New York Times uh, 1619 project, which is that America w- is thoroughly corrupt at its foundations, uh, thoroughly racist at its foundations. And that even our economic and political system is thoroughly racist, that capitalism is itself racist. Now, this is a historically uh, uh, devastatingly inaccurate portrayal. Uh, The leading capitalists uh, of the 1700s were all anti-slavery. So that's one thing that's going on. Second thing that's going on is that uh, people in the LGBTQ alliance uh, have successfully uh, gotten Americans to consider their calls on the equal level to enslaved black Americans. And so uh, they've now made the civil rights movement into. Um, a into movement theirs. That is like, not yeah, yeah, into their own into their own movement. Yeah. And, and this and, and so you've got uh, that's the point this play is trying to make. All of the men uh, who are being represented from uh, from the founding era are being represented by women, by non-binary people who are one of. Uh, 80 or 85 different uh, pronouns uh, by transgendered uh, persons. And I do want to point out there's a there's a pretty big contradiction here within the movement. The LGBT movement is full of contradictions, uh, so many ironies in the fire. 
But one of them is that they're allowing women and non-binary and transgender people to play men, and yet they are furious if uh, on a given television show or in a given movie that a heterosexual uh, male uh, plays the role of a, a gay male or a heterosexual female plays the role of a, of a gay female. Um, but anyway, so that's an internal contradiction. Um, but, but the real thing that's happened here is that uh, certain members of the black activist community are offended uh, that Asian uh, actors and actresses are considering themselves people of color. There's an argument over who gets to count as a, as a person of color. And this goes directly against the, the principles of the civil rights movement. Civil rights movement was trying to say that race is a social construct. We should get rid of the construct because it's racist. And what you have now is you have a reaffirmation of this social construct uh, in order to put white people at a disadvantage. Well, and to be sure that you're not considered white. Like, I think that part of what I understand to be going on here, um, and this is this all grows out of an interview that one of the actors gave to an outlet called Vulture. Um, and and in her interview, I mean, she she not only disses the the sort of creative powers that be um, who are directing this production, but her um, her fellow actors as well. Um, this this particular individual uh, is, you know, it, it, it the New York Times goes out of its way to be sure that every time they use this person's name, they say uses she they pronouns. Like, is that something that, you know, every time we refer to someone, we now need to refer to the pronouns that they use? That's an interesting part of this conversation. Um but she said that the directors had paid insufficient attention to gender identity, considering it secondary to the question of race. Um, and that, I think, is where we can find our footing in terms of Christians in the conversation. Um, actually, your gender identity nor your race. I mean, like, there is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male or female. All I mean, like, if we're going to have a Christian conversation about this— then we're going to bring the gospel to bear in a way that makes sure everybody understands from a Christian worldview, we're on equal footing at creation, at the cross, and in the kingdom. I mean, and if we can't get to that place, then we really can't have a substantive conversation about what it means to go forward together. Yeah, we can't. I mean, one of the things, one of the signs of every authoritarian movement in history is that authoritarian movements monkey with language. Because if you can control language and police language, then you can control people. And we're seeing that right now um, in the, the, the pronoun debate that uh, language is being monkeyed with. Uh, the term in English language, the term man and woman have intuitively and in a common sense manner recognized what all people everywhere historically of every world religion, every civilization recognized, which is that there are two kinds of humanity male and female. This is DNA-based, biologically-based, scientifically unquestioned until the past decade or so. Um, and it, it's an attempt, uh, it's part of a broader attempt by uh, elite cultural actors and certain people in our, na in our, our nation uh, to say that we don't live in a predetermined world. We can create ourselves in our own image. We can uh, alter who we are fundamentally. And as believers, we want to come back and say, listen, uh, there's plenty of room for diversity and uniqueness, for your uniqueness to come out. But we, we, we live in a predetermined world, and God is the determiner. 
and he has made some of us men and some of us women. And uh, th this this intuitive common sense fact is now being uh, sort of tossed out the window, and we're left with this this complicated alphabet soup of pronouns. And it places a considerable burden on society as a whole to remember all of these different pronouns, remember which person is going by which pronoun. It's really unworkable, uh, which is what? to be expected by an authoritarian movement who's trying to overthrow creation order. Yeah, and what's supposed to be going on is um, an entertaining production of a stage musical. And so, you know, like, let, I mean, I think part of this is let's not lose sight of what we, you know, what we were all here to do, Broadway people. Um, we were all here, right, to put on an entertaining theatrical production that maybe would also make people think. Um, and that is completely lost in all of this. And so the identity politics, um, one of our listeners has said, you know, it sounds like the head is eating the tail. Um, I mean, I think there's no question that um, that left, you know, sort of left in its own environment without any exterior influence, like this thing crashes in on itself because you 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 ultimately can never be the one the one person who is more different than every other person who's trying to be more different than every other person like so anyway i mean ultimately we're all just and people it, and it ruins it ruins the nature of a broadwood play i mean in any given movie um that, oh, or in any given novel that's written a movie or a novel is not supposed to be a sermon I mean, they do, right. you know, a movie or a novel always carries a message, but it carries it in an artful manner. And the message itself is not foregrounded. The message is supposed to sink in and settle in as the story is told. But we, what you see in progressive activism and sometimes in conservative activism is that movies and novels are turned into something that they're not supposed to be. They're turned into preaching points or public policy um, uh dictations and it kind of ruins it as a as a work of art and i i feel like what they're doing on this broadway show uh, ruins the show as a work of art yeah i completely agree all right bruce um how fun to talk with you thank you so much for being here uh we love the way you help us you know kind of see through the fog um that we find ourselves in culturally and uh, certainly appreciate the ongoing conversation so thank you so much thank you look look back look forward to being back on the show soon Excellent. That's Bruce Ashford. You can uh, find what he's writing at bruceashford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. British Prime Minister Liz Truss has resigned the office just six weeks into the job. Um, she will be remembered for two things, I believe, being the last prime minister to shake the hand of Queen Elizabeth II and the prime minister to have the you know shortest time of service in British political history. That's saying something because Britain's political history is really long. She lasted 45 days in the office. Um, so, um, so, yeah, they're going to pick a new prime minister. It, it It's possible it will be their last prime minister, Boris Johnson, which will make for interesting conversations going forward. But before, you know, we as Americans start gloating, um, we have to consider the history of the United States, which is much a much shorter political history than the history of Britain. But we had a president who died just 32 days after taking office, William Henry Harrison. He was the nation's ninth president. 
and he traveled without a coat on horseback to take the oath of office. It was a cold, wet day in March of 1841. He contracted pneumonia, and he died on April the 4th, less than an hour into his 32nd day on the job. So Liz Truss resigning after just 45 days in office. And, uh, you know, another leadership transition taking place there in Great Britain. Uh, all right, Dan DeWitt's going to join us. We love to talk with Dan, bringing, you know, bringing the gospel uh, worldview to bear on what's going on culturally. And so um, Halloween is coming, and we thought it would be fun to spend some time talking about screw tape. If you're not familiar with screw tape, you're going to really enjoy this next conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dan DeWitt. You can find what we're talking about at theolatte.com. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing without Paul? <laughs> well, How's Ryan. That possible? <laughs> well, I know Ryan's doing a great job. Um, but yes, we uh, here. Here would be the one. The one notable thing: Ryan is young, and Paul is of an age. And Paul's um, <laughs> musical repertoire and his ability to connect a piece of music. It, like, while I'm talking about something, it will occur to Paul, hey, you know, there's a 1950s or a 1940s or a 19th. Like, there's a song that has a line in it. And, and somehow he has that ready to go by the time we by the time I finish whatever random thought it is and he plays it. Ryan probably could do the same thing, but I'm not sure that the music would be recognizable to most of the audience. And so I think he resists the temptation. Ryan, am I right? Yeah, you know, I could maybe get there someday, but Paul's a unique breed, so I, it may take me a while. I, I'm just hey. wondering what the lead-in song will be for the next, like if it'll be like the Monster Mash or, you know, some oldie kind of Halloween It could sound. just be Happy Birthday, because we're going to talk about Aslan's birthday in the next section. Oh, yeah, so, that's true. Something easy. Let's go. pick something easy for Ryan to find. It would already be on what we call the button bar. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, you and I know who screw tape is, but there's probably some people listening who don't know who screw tape is. And I, I almost just like want you to read what you wrote because it's just so good. Take us, take us to the night that um, C.S. Lewis was listening to something on the radio. Take us there and then walk us forward to the screw tape letters. Okay, well, so the screw tape letters is an imaginary conversation between a senior demon and a junior demon. And C.S. Lewis, it's arguably his most influential work. If you ever see an old copy of it, that from the year it was published, you'll see that it was reprinted numerous times in the first year it was published. And so here's what I wrote about the screw tape letters. It was a hot, dry summer in 1940 in Oxford, England. That ended in July when the heavens opened up with deluge rainfalls. It must have been a wet Saturday evening when C.S. Lewis the man who would take to speaking over the radio in the very near future turned on his own radio and tuned in to listen to an influential political speech. History was being made in more ways than one. In looking back upon the last 10 months, we are all struck by the grace of providence that has allowed us to succeed in our great work, the speaker's voice proclaimed through the crackly speakers. Providence has blessed our great resolves and guided us in our difficult matters. As for myself, I am deeply moved, realizing that providence has called on me 
to restore to my people their freedom and honor, end quote. Lewis admitted to being affected by the rhetoric. I don't know if I'm weaker than other people, Lewis said, but it is a positive revelation to me how while the speech lasts, it is impossible not to waver just a little. Lewis wrote these words describing how it felt to hear what is described as Hitler's last appeal. That was Hitler's speech he was listening to. Hitler's last appeal to Britain to remove themselves from the war before he promised to unleash hell. Within a couple months, it would be far more than rain falling from the English sky. Um, In the speech, Hitler is claiming to be the voice of reason, and he's appealing to common sense. He's painting the, the German people as victims and Churchill as the aggressor. He references Churchill 14 times in that speech. And Lewis describes how listening to someone who's able to put an argument forward in a powerful way without flinching made him, even for a moment, waver in his own convictions, even though he knew the statements were false. And just like that, screw tape was born. And to be fair, Lewis had to endure a rather boring sermon first. Um, Lewis writes of the sermon he heard the very next morning. So on Saturday night, he listened to Hitler's speech. On Sunday morning, he went to church and he described it this way. Blanchett, who was the preacher, Blanchett preached not very profitably, Lewis told his brother. And then in that same letter where he talks about Hitler's speech and a boring sermon, he says, I have an idea for a great book. And in the letter, he puts in some of the lines that would end up making it into the screw tape letters. Yeah, this idea that, you know, if you make the preaching of the day really boring, um, you bore people with the word <laughs> of God, and and yet you persuasively uh, speak to them um, like Hitler did, right? I mean, this, these persuasive yeah. devils of our day. Um, first of all, sorting through and and sifting through what is true and what is false, and even when I know that the words that somebody is saying um, are not true, they can be delivered with persuasive speech. And that is so helpful in terms of preparing me to listen well to the voices that I'm hearing in the culture today. There are people who are saying things that, you know, I mean, they they deliver them with such persuasive power that I'm tempted to believe Mm -hmm. them, even though I know what they're saying is not true. Absolutely. And, you know, the, that, that's why we have to be cautious, right? You know, people, I think who sometimes feed themselves on a steady diet of angry um, political pundits that often that's the way they will see the world. Now, it's not to say that you can't listen to someone who's energized, but you want to be cautious. The people that you give that kind of opportunity in your life are going to shape your affections. And so what Lewis shows us here, and I love how you pointed out that contrast, you know, this um, passionate, persuasive Hitler on Saturday night, and then kind of a um, boring preacher on a Sunday morning, the contrast between which one is more compelling to you. Well, at the end of the day, the question is, what's, what's true? And not necessarily who's more compelling. And in the screw tape letters, Lewis is giving us a psychology of temptation. He's showing us really what it, it feels like to be human. And so Lewis even wanted there to, at some point, to write a um, follow-up book that would be the opposite side of the conversation. So he wanted to write a book that would be a conversation between a senior angel to a junior angel about how to uh, encourage a Christian. And Lewis finally gave up on that project because he said, you know, you really can't put yourself in that 
Lewis could relate to what it feels like to be tempted and to be sinful. He couldn't relate to what it's like to not be, to not have a sin nature. Lewis said, you know, if you were able to do that, every word would have to carry with it the the scent, the fragrance of heaven. And he just felt like he couldn't, you know, put himself in that that um, st- state of mind to do that well. And so in the screw tape letters, he's letting us see what it really feels like um, to be tempted and torn between um, competing voices. I mean, it's possible that the screw tape letters are um, C.S. Lewis's like most contemporary work because because it's always contemporary. Like there's there's never oh a time that the devil's not prowling around looking for a way to devour us and um, and legions of uh, uh, you know of those who serve him um, influencing us in ways that it w- might surprise us if we spent some time thinking about it. So. I am super excited to learn that you are going to start a new podcast called Mere Caffeination, and you're going to be teaching through the screw tape letters, and the first yes. episode's going to drop on Halloween Day. That seems very screw tapey. <laughs> it does. And so the, the programs will be less than 30 minutes, and half of the program time will all be teaching through a writing by Lewis. So for the first season, it will be through screw tape letters, and then the other half of the 30-minute program will be an interview. And my first guest is Sam Alberry. So would love for people who are listening in to check out the podcast. You can learn more at the website at Theolatte. Yeah, Theolatte.com. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dan DeWitt here in just a moment. Everything we're talking about, um, you can find at Theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. So if we were going to sing happy birthday on his 72nd birthday, Dan DeWitt, to whom might we be singing? We would be singing to, and in keeping with our C.S. Lewis theme, we would be singing to Aslan, who first came to the world in printed form on October the 16th of 1950. So he has been around for 72 years, and we're still talking about him, and we still hear his roar. Yeah, and we don't, and, 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 yeah. And it's like terrifying and this great anticipation. And I want to, I want to hug him. And yet (laughs) I should be terrified because, after all, he's not a tame lion. He is not a tame lion. You know, I had the opportunity when I was working in um, PR and communications to go with a journalist to interview D.A. Carson. Um, at Trinity Theological Seminary in Chicago, and he had that crocheted and framed on the wall, this uh, artwork. Um, he's not a tame lion, which 
Um, of course, Lucy is told by, I think it was Mr. and Mrs. Beaver who explained mm-hmm. to her that, that Aslan is not safe, uh, but he's good. And so I read, I, I put in this story, I do a couple of things in this article, which to be for full disclosure, I originally published a couple of years ago with the Gospel Coalition and republished it this week on my, on my, on my blog. Um, but in it, I talk about Lucy, to whom Lewis dedicates um, the real Lucy, real life Lucy, Lucy Barfield. But in the introduction, I describe how my kids, one time we were at a bookstore, they ran up to me and they're like, Dad, this is hilarious. You're going to love it. And they found a little book that contained um, like two sentence summaries of great works of literature. And they had every book you might imagine, every classic you might imagine. But the one that was a two sentence summary of Narnia read like this, a lion eats a witch in a wardrobe, some kids watch. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what happens. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, that's, he doesn't really eat her. Um, but in the dedication, Lewis dedicates it to Lucy, um, his, his goddaughter. So the real life Lucy, of course, who inspired the namesake for the character Lucy in the stories. And he told her, um, again, if you have a copy of the book, you can see this in the dedication page. Lewis writes, my dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you, but when I began, when I began it, I not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can then take it down from some upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. Isn't that wonderful? And it reminds me um, of how different it is to read or have read to us um, the Chronicles of Narnia when we're little, and then Mm. to read them when we are young adults or adults, and then to read them to our children and grandchildren. Um, I love uh, the quote that you you pull from J.K. Rowling, who said she enjoyed Narnia as a child because she didn't find Lewis especially preachy. But then in Mm -hmm. rereading the books as an adult, she says, well, his subliminal message isn't very subliminal, right? (laughs) There there are ways that we, I mean, I think that's true of our relationship with Aslan, right? There Mm -hmm. are ways that we engage with Aslan as a child, and there are ways that we learn um, that we must respect and obey him as adults. Um, And there's a difference in, in, I mean, I think that, People who don't accept the good gift uh, that God offers in Jesus Christ, they have a, a, a right fear of Aslan throughout their life, um, even unto death. I mean, they, they fear the lion. Um, and, and yet those of us who have a restored relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, we, we can't wait. Like, we can't wait to, you know, for the day. We can't wait for the day when we meet him face to face. Absolutely. And, you know, somebody might listen to this conversation and think, I thought we were going to be talking about what's going on in the world of worldview. And what I think Lewis reminds us is that it's not always by understanding the arguments of our day that we're going to best critique them. Um, Sometimes we could get caught up in the spirit of the age and what Lewis called chronological snobbery. And sometimes by reading books from the past, they shed light on the perennial issues that humans always deal with. 
Lewis not living that long ago, but long enough ago that some people might kind of dismiss his views as antiquated or, you know, old fashioned, is constantly showing us that there's this timeless truth that makes sense of what it feels like to be human. And these deep longings for meaning and you know moral values and justice, that they all make sense in, in the Christian story. Um, but as adults, we often have these ready-made you know, arguments against Christianity. Don't bother me with that. I've already rejected it. And so Lewis, what he told Lucy is, at, at some point in the future, she'll be old enough to again be re-enchanted by a magical picture of the world that actually is pointing to a deeper reality that's really true. Um, and in this case, that this lion that we come to love in the story of Narnia, that sometimes even as adults, people who are not believers go back and don't like it, that this lion is pointing to a deeper reality, that as Lucy's told in the stories, um, that she could come to know Aslan in the real world, um, and that by knowing Aslan in Narnia, that she might come to know the real Aslan even better in the real world. And so that's what Lewis was aiming for, was to awaken people to the deepest reality of all, that there's a God who loves them, and he's revealed himself in Jesus. So I hope that these stories continue, and I'm sure they will, for another 72 years, should the Lord tarry, to point people to the true Lion of Judah. So Aslan's not uh, the only one whose birthday um, you are celebrating. So you have twins who are now 16. And you you, oh, you, you offered a little, I know, I know, Mitch, <laughs> I know. It, don't, don't, it doesn't make you old, but it does oh. make you, uh, you, you're now entering a strange new world. So um, just talk with us a little bit about your, your reflections, um, your reflections on all of that. I, well, so one, you know, I, I just, any parent listening to this knows what it's like to go, have I done enough? Um, and and we're, we're aware of all of our failures. And so I think that the tempter would use those failures as parents to kind of go, you know, you missed this, you should have done that. Um, and when my, with, with big birthdays, you kind of reflect on those things. And so this week I've really reflected on um, how can I make the most of the next two years I've got with my twins. And so I, I took a passage I wrote years ago in a book called Life in the Wild and put it in about the day they were born. And I, I try to have some humor there. Um, but the reality is living in a fallen world, we're reminded we constantly need God's help. And where does dysfunctional family come from? Well, we see it as early as Genesis chapter 4, where the third person to breathe air on the planet kills his brother, the fourth person to breathe air on the planet. Man, do we need God's help um, in this fallen world. And the, the glorious thing of all is there is a lion who conquers evil and offers imperfect parents like me um, real help to point our kids to, you know, to what matters most. So I reflected on that and took my kids to, woke them up early and took them to Waffle House for a nice greasy breakfast before dropping them off at school on Wednesday morning. Are these the same um, two that you did the Route 66 thing with a few summers ago? It is. And my SUV just turned over 250,000 miles. A lot of those miles were from that trip. (laughs) So let me say this. You got to link that Route 66 thing to this article. Because if you ever wonder if you did enough, you just need to go back and read your Route 66 thing. Mm. Because you did enough. I mean, you did, you did enough, man. You, they will never forget. I mean, if I haven't forgotten that, that road trip, <laughs> and I wasn't even on it, then I guarantee you that was formative in ways that you can never imagine. So there you go. If you would, if you would be so kind as to link the Route 66 stuff 
to to that uh, piece that you have posted at theolatte.com, which you describe as irrelevant thoughts on childbirth. Um, they're not irrelevant. And yes, good father, you have done enough. Well, the Lord has used you as a messenger in my life today to encourage me. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Blessings, my brother. That's Dan DeWitt. You can find him um, at his blog, theolatte.com, or at Southwest Baptist University. Well, really, you're going to find him at Cedarville, because I don't think he's out there too often at Southwest Baptist University, but that's technically where he teaches now. All right, that's (laughs) Dan DeWitt. You should check out his books as well, all available at theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, I confess that I'm the person who says every headline um, has a worldview implication. There's something in there. You just have to root it out. So um, I think that possibly as a challenge, um, one of you sent me yesterday this headline and said, um, make a worldview connection with this. So (laughs) I view that as the gauntlet being thrown down. So here you go. Why Pickleball has Tom Brady and LeBron James investing. First of all, do you know about pickleball? Do you play pickleball? Um, I think I would like pickleball pickleball very much. It's uh, um, it's apparently like much easier to play than tennis because the court is so much smaller, which for those of us that don't move as fast as we once did, that's really great news. You also always have someone else on your side. So it's like never played as a singles thing. And so I like that. I like that it's kind of, you know, a community thing. So here's um, from this article by 2030, pickleball is pro- projected to attract an estimated 40 million players across the globe. And it's uh, attracting investors, obviously, looking to um, capitalize on all of that. Apparently, pickleball has existed since 1965. I guess maybe my worldview, um, my, my worldview connection is this. Um, the games are always changing, but the games we play with God never change. People are still playing hide-and-seek, and they have been since uh, the very advent of the Garden of Eden, right? We've been hiding, and God's been seeking. In fact, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So what games are you playing with God today? Um, you know, there's the domino effect that we read about in James, where temptation leads to sin and sin leads to death. Um, there's the games we play with God in relationship to, like, monopoly and we think we can own it all and have it all. And God, you know, is saying to us, hey, eventually it all goes back in the box. What, um, what games are you playing with God today? Are you in it for the marathon, um, right? Uh, this endurance that is necessary to live the Christian life? I don't know. Are you just playing pickleball? Maybe the other worldview implication is this. If I'm going to play pickleball, I'm going to need a partner. Hmm. All right. You want to be my pickleball partner? I'm going to need a pickleball court near where I live. There you go. That is uh, the question of why pickleball has Tom Brady and LeBron James investing. We got another hour of this up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.